Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, Southbridge. It's uh, great to be together today. We've got a lot of reasons to celebrate uh, things that are happening today at our church. We've got about 10 folks that are going to be baptized after this service. And so one would give them a hand for taking a step of faith, by the way. Thank you. Encourage those of you. You know, I told you uh, last week I shared with you that we had people getting saved several services in a row. And they said that all of heaven rejoices when that happens. Luke chapter 15, verses 7 and 10 will tell us that. When one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. Then last week we had somebody else trust Christ as their Savior. So we, we get excited about people trusting Jesus as their Savior. But also, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that God began a good work in us at that moment. He'll be faithful to complete that work. And one of the steps in the, in the faith journey after you trust Jesus as Savior is to be baptized. And so it doesn't stop when you trust Jesus as your Savior. That's really where it begins. And then God continues to do steps of faith and life transformation after that. And so we say all the time as a church, we're a church that exists to connect people to Jesus Christ for life change. And that goes beyond just salvation, but it continues in our faith journey. And so we're going to celebrate with those folks after the service. Uh, we were thinking maybe we do it outside. You know how North Carolina is. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, so we're going to be out in, we call it the lobby, the cafeteria after the service. If you've got kids in child care, if you go grab them and then come over, um, we're going to cheer those folks on that are taking that next step of faith uh, today. And just as far as things to celebrate, I also mentioned to you last week that we wouldn't celebrate the closing of our land that we have until it actually happened. Well, last week was some ups and downs, just so you know. And of course, right? Because that's just what happens. For those of you who don't know, the 30-second version of the story is that we own a piece of land over on Glenwood Avenue. We bought back in 2012 for $1.46 million, and we got a call right as we were getting ready to break ground on that from the North Carolina Department of Transportation telling us they wanted to purchase our property. The ironic thing is we weren't selling it, and we didn't want to sell it. But they're the North Carolina Department of Transportation, so we were selling our property. And through a long journey and about a year of conversation, uh, God ended up miraculously providing uh, $3.55 million for that property. And hold on, hold on, not until we close. <laughs> and on Friday, we closed. Amen? So, all right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we have reason to celebrate. We praise God. He saves people. He's transforming lives. He's not a God who just did some stuff like a long time ago, and we read about him in the Bible, come do a little some religious motions together. He's still working in our midst. He's still transforming lives. We've got people getting baptized today. We've got other people that are taking steps of faith on a regular basis, and he's still providing for us in miraculous ways. You know, provided manna in the desert. He can provide finances for us to take whatever next step of faith he wants us to take. And as a church body, those of you who are a regular part of our church body, uh, you just be praying in those next steps and what those might be. We've got several things that are uh, being talked about and discussed in some of that. So just pray for our, our future facility team and some of those things. We'll probably come together as a church at some point and talk about fasting together and praying together. But just as the Lord leads you right now, fasting and praying for God to direct. And uh, we want it to be, just like Moses said uh, with the people, just be still, be silent, and let God fight for you. Let God work. Let him work out those details. And so... Uh, we're just asking for that right now. We're going to continue to watch God work this morning. We're going to open up his word, and we do that with expectancy that he's going to speak to us and that we'll respond in whatever way he speaks to our hearts. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. So let me pray. Father, thank you uh, that we can gather together with believers. Thank you for 
Uh, every person that's in this room that has professed faith in your son Jesus Christ and is desiring to walk with you and we're all at different spots in that journey and for somewhere in this place where it's a valley and it's a deep struggle and for some people it's been great stuff happening and we're pumped and we're all part of the same body. One spirit, one Lord, one baptism. You've got a plan for us. Will you speak to us this morning? And I pray that we would not harden our hearts, that we would listen to you as you speak. Make us sensitive, invade this place as we sing. Let your presence be known in this place. Have your Holy Spirit up, go up and down the aisles, tapping us on the shoulder, poke us in the heart, encouraging our souls, correcting us, rebuking us. Whatever it is you desire to do through your word, we know you do that. Will you please do it this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get there. In Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're really just looking at two verses this morning in Hebrews chapter 3. We're continuing a series we're doing called Be Connected. And the premise of the series is there's about 59 commands in the New Testament that require another believer. You can, live the, you can be a Christian on your own. You cannot be an obedient Christian on your own. There's all these one another commands, and today we're looking at a specific command in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. But as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about an encounter I had last week. Last week, we started some new classes as a church, 101, 201, 301, 401. There's some foundational classes for the faith. And the first one is really an orientation to Southbridge. And I do a little bit of teaching about what the church is like and what God's plan is for the church, not just this church, but the church in the New Testament. And after it was all done, there was a lot of new people to Southbridge that were at this class. And so afterwards, I was talking with a couple guys, and two of them were standing there, and we were chatting. We we're just asking each other questions. And one of them said to me, what's your favorite movie? That's a tough question. There's a lot of movies that I like, and there's all these different genres, different types of movies that are out there. But when I think of, there's a couple movies that always pop into my mind. One of them is Remember the Titans. Have you ever seen that movie before? It's on TV like every day on the Lifetime channel, if you, if you have never seen it before, or TNT or one of those channels. And what it, the summary of the movie is Denzel Washington stars in it. He plays coach Herman Boone in 1971. The setting is Alexandria, Virginia. Alexandria, Virginia. And there's this football team that's being integrated in 1971. His job, Herman Boone, is to bring these white players and these black players together on one mission to be a team together. Now, I love football. Football is like the ultimate team sport. I think there's tons of metaphors for life that we see in football. There's some sports where you can have just one amazing athlete and he can change the whole team. In football, if everybody's not doing their job, it's a mess. You can have an amazing quarterback. You've got no offensive lineman. You're in trouble. Everybody's got to be working together. And there's all these racial tensions, and there's even this one kid gets kicked off the team because he's racist, and there's all these problems that are happening. My favorite part is what I started telling these guys about at lunch last week, and I, get, I started to get emotional when I think about this. It's funny, I actually started to cry watching the clip again this week in preparation of sharing this with you, and you're going to laugh at me, and you're like, hey, I made him cry? <laughs> what makes this guy cry? At any rate, uh, there's this one game. The team's unified at this point in the movie, and they're playing this all-white team. And the coach on the other team is clearly racist. He said some racist comments uh, throughout the preparation for that game coming up. And so I'm watching. I'm like, I just want you to destroy that team. And you realize the game is fixed. The refs are calling calls that are clearly not. They're calling holding when there's no holding. They're calling face masks. There's no face mask. And there was a meeting before that where the defensive coordinator, who at one time was the head coach, he's a white guy. His name is Coach Yost. He's now the defensive coordinator. And he was headed towards the high school football coaching hall of fame. And they said, if Coach Boone just loses one game, you'll be the new head coach. You'll be guaranteed the hall of fame. And he sees what's happening. He sees this game's rigged. The refs aren't calling it fair. He watches Denzel, Coach Herman Boone. He's yelling. He's like, just stop cheating my boys, he's saying to the refs. And then the refs call a penalty on him, 15 more yards, unsportsmanlike conduct. They're threatening him. They're going to kick him out of the game. Coach Yost is watching this happen. He looks back. He sees his daughter. She can tell these are bad calls. He sees the Hall of Fame guys. They've rigged the game. 
A couple more penalties get called, and then he just yells this name. He says, Titus. He's talking to the official. He knows who the official is. It's kind of a good old boys network in this area, all these white guys. And he walks up to Coach, or he walks up to Titus, Coach Yost does, and he says to him, I know all about it. I know exactly what you're doing. Call this game fair. I don't care. If I go down with you, I'll make sure every last one of you is thrown in jail. And then the guy says to him, you dig your own grave. And he just grabs him by the shoulder and he goes, okay. I love that. There's such confidence. He's like, I'll be a martyr. That's fine with me. And then he calls a timeout and says, defense on me. And this one player comes in. It's one of their star players. And he starts complaining. They're calling holding on me every time, coach. And he says, if you want to be a star, give a star performance. And the guy walks away. Football's next man up. Whoever, somebody gets injured, next guy. You're ready. You always be ready. He calls the next guy in there. And then it gets intense. And this is the part where I start to cry when I watch the movie. He says at that point, he says, I don't want them to gain another yard. And here's the part. Blitz all night. And I'm like, I want to play. I wish I could still play. He says, if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'll take every last one of you out. He says, make them remember forever the night that they played the Titans. And then they get pumped, and the music starts playing, and they go, but then this is his last line. He says, leave no doubt. And I'm like, destroy them. I don't even know who they are. But you get them. I'm ready to play football. I want to hit somebody in that moment. What was that, what was that coach doing at that time? What was he doing in that moment? He's instilling courage in those boys. He, he's, the, the mission we have is too serious. But you can't control all the injustices in the world. You can't control all the circumstances. You do your job. You remain faithful. Some are going to depart. Maybe they weren't really one of us. And see, that's what we're talking about in our passage of Scripture today. For those of you who've read ahead, it's to encourage one another. Exhort one another in the ESV. Both words, they get to the meaning of what we're talking about today. And here's what the Bible is interesting about. It says that we need this so badly, we need it every day. And so before we turn to Hebrews chapter 3, I want you just to look to your right for a second. Look to your right. Everybody look to your right. Everybody look to your left. Everybody that you laid eyes on today needs what we're talking about in this passage of Scripture. Every day. It says here to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Hebrews chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me as we talk about the importance of encouraging or exhorting one another. Hebrews chapter 3. Here's one of the interesting things about the book of Hebrews. It's unlike many of the other books in the New Testament. So you get the book of Ephesians, it's to the church at Ephesus, or the book of Galatians, it's to these churches in Galatia, circulated around these churches in Galatia. They're oftentimes written to churches, they're letters written to churches, or to individuals. The letter to Timothy, letter to Titus. Hebrews is actually a sermon. The preacher wrote down, and he sends it. And so what's this sermon about? Well, it's all about this, that Jesus is superior, Jesus is better, amen? amen. Okay, so that's easy to say at church. But what about in life? You get tempted. Your friends want you to do something you know it's not right, but it's probably not that big of a deal. Somebody needs to remind you, Jesus is better. Do you have friends like that? Sometimes there's stuff that happens in life, just pressure. It's just life is happening. Work's not going so well. Business isn't operating well. You're thinking about changing careers, whatever it is. Something going on in your marriage. Different things happen. Your health. And there's these pressures that tend to trigger stuff in us that we've developed over a lifetime of coping in ways that oftentimes are not biblical, are not godly. Somebody needs to remind you, Jesus is better. Sometimes there's these temptations that come along. This is a shiny thing that we want to go after instead of Jesus. And someone needs to remind us, Jesus is better. And that's what this sermon is all about. 
And there's three main people that he's preaching to, we see as you read through this book. And I'm going to tell you the three categories, and I just wanted to ask yourself, do I fit into any of these categories? The first one is people that are marginally committed to Jesus. They're wavering in their faith. They're followers of Jesus, but they're tempted that maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a different way. Maybe I should go back to an old way of life. Maybe I should go back to Judaism. Maybe this, this following Jesus stuff is pretty hard. And maybe it's not Judaism for you, but maybe there's something else you're tempted to go back to. And God's called you to be faithful, called you to walk in the next steps of faith. And so do you identify as that you, the first category? People that are wavering. Second category of people are people that are in danger. And this is really scary, especially in the South. It's people who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. It's people who have information. They believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They believe that Jesus is the one that saves them from their sins. But they have not shifted their trust from whatever it is they're trusting in to fully trust in Jesus Christ. They're in danger because they're not really believers. They believe facts. Is that you? Third category of people are genuine followers of Jesus, but they're worn out. They're tired. They're discouraged. And life can be hard. It's difficult. Is that you? That's who he's preaching to. We're going to jump into a section of this sermon. It's a long sermon. You can read the whole book on your own in, in just one sitting. But what's just happened is he's just given an illustration in verses 7 through 11. It's a negative illustration about rebelling in the wilderness. And then he says this to us. Take care. Some of your translations say beware, caution, look. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. Here's our command, our one another command today. Exhort one another, or if you're in the NIV, encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's just given this illustration of them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because they hardened their hearts. He's saying, if you hear God speak to you through this message he's preaching to these people, through the message being preached to you, God's still speaking today. He speaks through his word. Amen? If God speaks to your heart today, don't harden your heart. How do you harden your heart? By not responding. When God tells you to do something, you're not doing it. You hear the word, but you're not a doer of the word. Don't be that. Don't do that. That's what he's saying here. God still speaks. And what is he speaking to us today? He's saying encourage one another. Exhort one another. What does that mean? A lot of times when we think of the word encourage, we just think of, you know, patting somebody on the butt. You can do it. Hey, things are going to be okay. Sometimes people promise stuff they should never be promising, and they're trying to encourage people. Everything is going to be okay. Yeah, one day when I'm with Jesus, you don't know. The wheels could totally fall off here. Why are you saying that? Don't ever say that to me, please. I, get, I don't like that promise. Because you, you don't have the power to hold it. Only God does. Only he knows if it's going to be okay here. And so a lot of times we think of encourage, we just think of that, like some words to try and uplift people. The word encourage, the reason why the ESV translates it exhort, is big, has a, a wide range of meaning. It's bigger than just uplifting words. It can mean in some places to warn someone, hey, danger, what's about to happen? That's not good. Warning, that can be encouraging. You're protecting them. It can mean to rebuke somebody. Hey, not just warning, this could go bad. What you're doing is bad. Stop it. It can mean instilling courage, like that coach. Blitz all day! As a Christian, it might sound more like this. Stand firm, resist the devil! He'll flee from me. There's no temptation, he'll seize you. It's common to man, scripture. Hey, you blew it? If you confess your sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive you your sins. So, instilling courage to do the thing that God's called us to do. 
warning when, things, when you're headed down a path that's not the right path, rebuking when you've already gone down that path, all those things. And so that's why you've got the NIV says encourage one another, ESV says exhort one another. And that's our command today, but why do we need it? Why does it need to happen? And I believe verses 12 and 13 give us at least three reasons, and those will be the three points today. The first reason why we need to encourage or exhort one another is this, our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to wander. You see it right here in the passage. I'm not just making these points up. They come right from the verses. Look at verse 12 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And after talking about the heart, he talks about the heart leads us, leading you to fall away from the living God. Your heart is prone to wander. Do you believe that's true? I hope if you just sang it, you believe it's true. We did just sing a song that says that. I hope that you always pay attention to the words you're singing. You don't just sing them because, hey, that's a good tune. No, I don't love Jesus. That's a good tune. What do you, what do you, are you listening? Have you ever sing this song before? My Jesus, I love thee. If ever I've loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Is that true? Is it really true? Don't say it if it's not true. Here's what we just sang, Come Thou Fount, a little bit earlier in the service. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Saying we're indebted to him. Let thy goodness, so that's the thing, like a fetter. What is a fetter? Sometimes we sing songs, I'm like, well, I don't even know what that word means. I love that our worship pastor a lot of times will put the definition of some words up. Sometimes I'm like, I'm, yes, I do have a degree in this stuff, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> a fetter is a chain around your ankle, like a prisoner would have. They just saying, let thy goodness chain me to you, God. Bind me to you. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Why? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The author of this song is saying our hearts are prone to wander. The author of this sermon in Hebrews is saying our hearts are prone to wander. You know, it's interesting that Robert Robertson is the guy who wrote that song, Come Thou Fount. It's an old, old, old hymn, hundreds of years ago. And the story goes for him is that he came, he was a hoodlum, was harassing people, invited a bunch of his buddies to come to church, heard this famous preacher speak, George Whitfield. He preached on Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, the wrath of God. He felt convicted and didn't respond for three years. Three years later, fell on his knees, trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior, invited Jesus into his life, surrendered his life to him, ended up quickly becoming a pastor. Two years later, wrote this hymn. But the story that I read this week, hard to verify, it was a conversation, but the story I read this week was it towards the end of his life, he was in a stagecoach, and there was this woman humming this hymn, and she leaned over to him and said, what do you think of the hymn I was just humming? And he says, madam, I'm the poor wretched man that wrote that hymn, and I'd give 10,000 worlds to feel the feelings I felt then. Even the author of the hymn's heart was prone to wander. And we see it all through the Bible. Why is it that there's so many people throughout the Bible that we see their hearts wander away from God? This is a book about God. It should draw us to God. So why doesn't he just put all these warm, fuzzy stories in there? Because our hearts are prone to wander. The very first people, Adam and Eve. Hey, you got one tree. Don't go, don't eat of this tree. Their hearts wander right over to that tree. You got, just keep going through the people. Saul, the first king of Israel. He fails because his heart's prone to wander. Solomon, if there's ever a story of a guy who started well, and it's a plane crash at the end. It's Solomon. His heart was prone to wander. David. David's the most famous king in the, in the Bible. He's the greatest king Israel's ever had. You've got Robert Robertson wrote, Come Thou Fount. David wrote a ton of the Psalms. Those were the songs they sang back then. His heart wanders after another man's wife. 
Our hearts are prone to wander. Jonah, he doesn't just wander. He runs from God. That's God's prophet. God speaks to this guy, and he's running from God. Our hearts are prone to wander. Get to the New Testament. Peter, after he denies Jesus, he goes back to fishing, goes back to his old way of life. The illustration that we'll get to in just a minute, verses 7 through 11, these people spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because their hearts are prone to wander. They're being disciplined. Our hearts are prone to wander. The most notorious character in the New Testament, Judas, talk about a warning for anybody who just knows a bunch of stuff about Jesus but isn't intimate with Jesus. Here's a guy who was as close to Jesus as you could be, but he chose money over God. And he heard from the lips of Jesus, you can't serve both. But our hearts are prone to wander. And that's why when you look at this passage of Scripture, the first command that's in this passage is not to exhort one another. Go back to the passage. Look at verse 12. I'm not making this stuff up. It's right in the passage. Verse 12. The first command is the first words. Take care from the passage I'm reading from. Be cautious. Beware. Look out. Some of your translations may say. It's a warning here. Caution, warning. There's one guy that was at the, we were commissioning a missions team at the end of the first service, and one guy said he had never flown on a plane before, and it made me think of warning symbols. In your car, if the maintenance light comes on, let me tell you how somebody like me can fix a maintenance light. It's electrical tape. You just pick it, cut, cut it, put it on there. You drive your car for a while. Well, eventually it's bad news, but for a while, you don't have to see that light. If you're flying in a plane and you see that engine light comes on, I don't know how to fly a plane. That's a problem. I'd do something. It might be get a parachute, but I'd do something. You see, we get so many warnings nowadays in our culture. We're such a litigious, lawsuit-happy society that sometimes we ignore them. Like you get a cup of coffee through the drive-thru and it says hot. You're like, no kidding. Thank you. But then there's some warnings we should heed. We need to pay attention to. If you're you know, going to go get a snack and you're going to walk through the living room and your spouse says to you, hey, the living room's a mess. The kids' toys are everywhere. Whatever. You don't even think, to tr- I might step on a Lego. That hurts really bad, by the way. Yeah, amen, Steve. Amen. Dinosaur. I was telling the first server, dino- why do- I have girls. Why do we even have plastic dinosaurs? But I've stepped on them before. Cars and all this stuff. But if somebody tells you, hey, the backyard used to be a landmine, you're going to walk through that a little different than worrying about Legos in the living room. We get so many warnings Sometimes we're like warning, we don't, oh, whatever, it'll be fine. This is a serious warning. Let me tell you how you know. Verse 14, he's talking about eternity. He's just talked about the Israelites. He says that they didn't get to enter God's rest. Do you know what God's rest was a metaphor for in the Old Testament? Salvation. He's talking about eternal matters here. Verse 14 says this, for we have come to share in Christ if, here's how we know if we're really a believer, indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I heard one pastor this week say that a lot of times we treat salvation like a vaccination. Oh, we got that. I'm good. That doesn't jive with how you read the New Testament because the New Testament talks about fighting through this whole process. It's a battle. Here it says, if, if, that's a big if, if we hold faith, the real believers are the ones that hold faithful to the end with the confidence they had when they started. So which one are you? Wavering, in danger, that's what he's talking about too here. You're in danger, this is a big deal. Caution, warning, take care, beware. This is eternal weight here, and what is it that you're being cautious with? Because it's different if I tell you to carry, you know, carry an egg across the kitchen. You drop it, that's bad. You don't want to waste the egg, but you wipe it up, you'll be fine. Carry this child. Well, that's a bigger deal. A baby's a bigger deal. What is he talking about here? He's talking about our hearts. Take care, brothers, fellow believers, people that are part of this family, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What's the heart? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. 
It says, guard your hearts. It's the wellspring of life. This is important stuff. Why? Because our hearts are prone to wander. And so what is the antidote? When you think about all the things that he could have said, the antidote to these wandering hearts. We've got this heart condition. What is it that we could do? And you say, go, go pray. Go pray for a while. Could have said that. Prayer's not bad. It's not what he says. Go, go spend some time in the Word. Dissect the Word. Maybe you need a retreat alone. Maybe, maybe you need to just go and talk and ask God to speak to you. He doesn't say any of that stuff. You know what he says? He says, all those people you look to the right and you look to the left of, you need them every day. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Exhort one another is in the present tense. Let me tell you something, Greek grammar about the present tense. Some of you like grammar. Some of you are maybe don't love grammar. Here's the reality of the present tense. They call it the continuous tense. Let me tell you why. Because right now it's the present tense. And right now it's the present tense. And right now it's the present tense. We can keep going all day. You guys get this point? You get the point? And now, it's the present tense. And this is in the present tense. Encourage one another. Not just, hey, I did my encouraging deed for the day. We need this all the time. And God's plan is that we actually need each other. Not only in the beginning with creation. Because when God created man, he was alone. He said it's not good for man to be alone. By God's design, we need community. We need one another. Because we're created in God's image. And God existed in community. One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Total unity. That's how it was designed to work. And then the fall happens. Sin enters the world. How much more do we need each other now? And God's plan is that we wouldn't live this life alone, but we actually need each other. Here's the problem. In order to be able to actually do what this command says, it fights against almost everything in our lives in this culture. And what we've been talking about in this series, breaking the illusion of intimacy. This command, because it's not just pat them on the butt, you can do it, have a good week as somebody's leaving church today, it requires you actually know each other's struggles, that somebody else actually knows where you're tempted to doubt, that other people know the tension in your marriage, the difficulty at your workplace, the struggles that you have in your faith. And so that means you've got to let people in. You have to be vulnerable. And so in order to be encouraged, you have to let other people in and be vulnerable. This is huge. And we all need it. That's why it's in the present tense. And that's why it's then emphasized, as long as it's called today. How long is it called today? Today's today. Until Jesus comes back. But that won't be forever. There's an urgency to this. But you have an opportunity now. And as long as it's still today, we need this. Continuously, we need this. We all need this. I needed it this week. I was over at a friend's house, uh, Vern, one of our elders. I was up sitting up in his bonus room, and we were talking, and he said a phrase that I hate it when any of y'all say this phrase to me. He says, well, you've said, <laughs> oh, great. Now you're going to tell me something I've said from the stage before that I'm not doing in my own life, which is true. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I just need this encouragement. And he said to me, and I had some circumstances happen, and I was discouraged, and I was down. He said, you've, all, you've told us before don't filter the scriptures through your circumstances. Filter your circumstances through the scriptures. And I said to him, as soon as he said that, you know what the problem is? I know a lot of stuff that I don't do. I know stuff, but I don't always do the stuff. You know what I need? I need to be reminded by people that see the weaknesses in my life, the struggles in my life, the truth. Sometimes you got blind spots and you don't even see it. You need other people in your life. And what do they encourage you to? What are they supposed to, how do you encourage, if it's not just pat them on the butt and tell them, hey, good job, you got this. 
What is it? Well, back up. If you've got your, a copy of the Bible, you may look backwards. If you've got an app, you may scroll backwards to verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. What has he said? He's pointing out, what do we encourage? We encourage people to put their eyes on Jesus because Jesus is better. Amen? Jesus is bigger than our circumstances. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are, Jesus can handle them. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, God is sovereign. God's not looking down going, oh man, I never saw that one. Now I've got to come up with another plan. He is on his throne. Amen? Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Things might go wheels off here. God's still on his throne. We get discouraged. We get depressed. We might despair of even life itself. But God brings comfort. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he was faithful when we're faithless. And so read verses 1 and 2. It talks about his faithfulness. Why was he faithful? He was tempted in every way as we're tempted. He was tempted to receive glory without going to the cross. Father, if there's any other way, temptations by Satan himself. Hey, you can, you can have all the glory. All the kingdoms can be yours. Just don't, don't go to the cross. But he remained faithful when we were faithless. And so we cast our eyes on the one who was faithful, who then took upon our sins, who received all the temptations we received, didn't sin, and died on the cross. Shared his love with us. Showed us how much he loved us by shedding his blood so our sins could be removed. Amen? Have you received that? If you haven't received that, you're a member of the audience that he's preaching to here. He wants you to receive that. Receive Jesus as your Savior. And those of you who've received it, you need to be encouraged in it daily. Sometimes there's simple truths that you already know, but you need to be reminded of by your brothers and sisters in Christ. So who are those people for you? I had one guy in our church who knew I was preaching on this passage of Scripture, sent me an email, and I said, is it okay if I share that email with our church body? And so I'm not going to share his name. He could be sitting next to you right now. But I'm going to share with you what he wrote me. He said, I love these verses some of my favorite, along with Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, which we read during worship today, which talks about not forsaking meeting together. Some of these believers were wavering so marginal, they weren't even meeting together regularly. But the guy that wrote me the email says, these verses are why I believe so much in the need for small groups. And these verses are some one of the reasons why, as a pastor, I'll share with you why I want everybody in our church to be in a small group. It's not so we can get your name on a roster. Getting your name on a roster of a small group doesn't do any good. But being involved in lives with one another so you're, you're, this doesn't say be encouraged on Sundays by the pastor. It's every day by each other. So we need, why? Because our hearts are prone to wander. And so this guy says, why well, believe in small groups? And then he goes on and he says, small groups like Southbridge, men's groups like 33. He's not against women's groups, ladies, by the way. He's just not interested in them himself. <laughs> Same idea. Celebrate recovery with the step groups they do. He says, no matter how many times no matter what I've struggled with over the years, as I've stayed connected and in community, it's helped me avoid falling away, has kept my heart relatively soft, and helped me to see through the lies of the enemy and embrace the truth. And he goes on and he says, I'm also engaged in a daily accountability with another guy in the church. He says, although we're not perfect about it, we strive to call each other daily during the week around 5.30 to check in on the day and make sure we're staying connected to God in prayer and in the word, avoiding sin and temptation and confessing to one another any missteps. And so it's a big help in his daily walk with Jesus. I hope that'd be true for all of us here. That's, that's what we're going, why? Because our hearts are prone to wander. That's not the only reason. Second reason in the passages, our hearts are prone to hardness. First reason is our hearts are prone to wander. The second reason is our hearts are prone to hardness. It's not just making this up. Go back to the verse. It's in the passage. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened. Our hearts are prone 
to hardness. A lot of times when we think of a hard heart, we think of somebody who's anti-God, Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Richard Dawkins today is famous for what he doesn't believe. People that are trying to disprove the faith. And so we assume that then we're safe. Like we're not, I mean, I'm, I'm at church. I'm spiritual. Maybe you're not religious, but you're like, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not against God. I believe in God. My heart's sensitive to God. Let me tell you who he's talking to in this passage, and the context is the key. So you know I'm not making this up. It's verses 7 through 11. The people he's talking to that hardened their hearts were people who had believed in all the facts about God, had experienced God themselves, had tasted and seen that he was good, but failed to continue to trust him. Is that possibly you? You look at the passage. It's verses 7 through 11. Like I said, go back up and just read it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I read to you verse 15 already. Same thing. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. What's he talking about? Testing in the wilderness. He's going back to the book of Exodus. And he's talking about God's people and all the Jewish listeners that would hear this book of Hebrews would know what he's talking about. And what happened was in the book of Exodus, kind of the short, truncated version of the story, is that God's people had been in bondage for 430 years, just as God had promised to Abraham it would happen. But for 430 years, they're crying out, God, relieve our pain. God, release us from it. Does God even exist? Getting mad at God, struggling with this, being faithful to God, all through all the struggle. And then we are told God heard and God saw. God hears your problems. He sees your problems. Even if relief doesn't come as immediate as you want it to. He heard them. He saw he had a plan through all of it. And he raised up this guy, Moses. Moses wasn't worthy. Moses wasn't capable. But God was going to glorify himself through Moses leading these people out of this. There's all these different plagues, and God's showing he's better, stronger than all the other gods that are, that are there in the Egyptian gods. And then he leads them to this place where they're going to be destroyed by the Egyptians if God doesn't come through in Exodus chapter 14. And then Moses says, and this is incredible, he says to the people, just be silent and God will fight for us. And then God parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land. Try and picture what that was like, to walk across, see a wall of water on your left, a wall of water on your right. They get to the other side. The Egyptians are coming after them. God has made their carriages not go right, and they're falling all over themselves, and they realize God's fighting for them. We need to go back. But before that can happen, God says, It's all day! Leave no doubt! says to Moses, he said, put your hand up over the water, and he destroys all of the Egyptians. There's no doubt. Their bodies are on the shore. The Israelites see that. Then they go, what are we going to eat? We had onions back there. At least we had onions. And God provides manna. They don't have any water. God provides water from a rock. He leads them. He guides them. He provides the law for them, shows them how to live with one another in the best possible way so they can be a community that other people would see and realize that God's leading them. He leads them right to the place of the promised land that he had told them about, a, pl- a, pl- a place flowing with milk and honey. Amazing spot. They send in 12 spies, just like God told them to, one from every tribe, sending these 12 spies. They go in, they scout it out, they come back, they're like, it's exactly like God said, flowing with milk and honey. It's huge. The people are a lot bigger than us. They're a lot stronger than us. We're like grasshoppers in their midst. And 10 of them say, we've got no shot. And two of them go, blitz all day. We got this. We got God. They don't know about him. And they let democracy reign instead of faith. And they go with the ten. They hardened their hearts. When they were standing at Kadesh Barnea, about to go into the promised land, you know what that was? It was a testing of their faith. Let me tell you something about faith. A faith that's not tested is a faith that shouldn't be trusted. I think the first person I heard say that was, I think, Warren Wearsby. 
Faith should be tested. Here's the reality. When we get tested, that's God turns up the heat in our lives. Sometimes that's through finances. Sometimes that's through health. Sometimes that's through relationships. Sometimes it's with your kids. Sometimes it's in your own doubts with the Lord. Sometimes your dreams don't happen the way you want them to. All kinds of ways God can test our faith. And maybe you've heard this old statement before too. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Some people, God uses that to grow their faith, and some people, they get hardened in their hearts, they get angry at God. What about you? How do you respond to the test? What's going on in your life? What's the test right now? How do you respond? The illustration's a bad one in verses 7 through 11. They didn't listen. They did what they thought was best. That's sin. By the way, sin, sin is not just like adultery, stealing, uh, jealousy, gossip. Those are all symptoms of what's going on in our hearts. Sin at its root is always a faith issue. In the moment, even the smallest sins, we lose our anger, we get jealous, whatever the things are that happen in those moments, we're deciding that we have more faith in that sin is going to deliver what we want, those harsh words we're going to say, whatever's going to take place, the adultery that's going to be committed, than we do in God. It's always a faith issue. Sin is always a faith issue. They lacked faith. So verse 9, he says, where your fathers put me to the test, God, and saw my works for 40 years. Think about the works that these people saw and they didn't trust. They saw, all, they saw his works. So these are people that experienced God, had tasted God, had seen that he's good. He, they walked through the Red Sea, saw the dead Egyptians, and then thought, but we can't beat those people. You didn't beat those other people. God did it. God's, and we know more. We know more than they knew. So think about the test for us. We read the story. The Jericho walls, they came tumbling down. Amen? God provides. He feeds 5,000 people with a couple fish, some little loaves. Calms the storm of the sea. He, 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 put on, he saw our predicament, put on flesh, came and dealt with our problem because we couldn't deal with it, our sin problem. He didn't sin. He took upon our sin on the cross, dealt with that for us, died, didn't stay dead, rose from the dead. He's risen. And he gives you the power over death. Amen? So can you trust him? Don't answer here in church. It's too easy here. Can you trust him? Our hearts are prone to hardness. Not only that, third reason why we need to encourage one another daily is because our hearts are prone to deception. Look at the next part of the verse, verses 12 and 13 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Prone to wander. But exhort one another. There's the antidote, the heart surgery. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. Our hearts are prone to hardness by the deceitfulness of sin. Our hearts are prone to deception because our hearts are prone to sin. And sin is deceptive. It promises pleasure. It delivers death. There's a way that seems right to man. In the end, it leads to death, the Proverbs tells us. But sin looks so promising all the time. James tells us what's happening. James tells us in the the book of James that if we violate the law in one way, break any of God's commandments in one way, we've broken the whole thing. So any sin we do, you might as well be guilty of murder. You might as well be a mass murdering cannibal, okay? You've broken the whole deal. But I just, it wasn't that big of a deal what I did. It is. And here's how it happens. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. But each person is tempted when he's lured. That makes me think of a fisherman with bait on the hook. And it looks good in the water to that fish, doesn't it? And eventually he's in the boat and he's getting gutted. That's what James is saying happens to us with sin. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, not by the devil, by his own desire. Our hearts are prone to deception. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. 
And then this warning, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, because I love you. He's exhorting them, encouraging them, because he loves them. Sin is deceptive. But here's what we do. Some of us will think, not my sin. My sin doesn't lead to death because my sin's not that big of a deal. So your friends tempt you to do something. You're like, that's not everybody's doing it. It's not that big of a deal. You're going, you're not with your spouse. You're on this business trip. I'm not going to stay the night with her. I'm just going to go upstairs. Or I'm, I'm in my room. I'm, just, I'm not going to touch. I'm just going to look. Or there's this deal, and we don't usually do business this way, but we're kind of in this tight jam, and so it's just the, the bottom line. Will help, and then we'll, give, we'll tithe some of it. We minimize our sin. We, we always have these rationalizations, and we can do it with all kinds of stuff. Let me tell you something. The enemy's been feeding us the same lie for thousands of years. You know what happened in the book of Genesis? There's one thing. Just don't eat of this tree. And then what does Satan say? Surely you won't die. It's not that big of a deal. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13. Let me read to you what happens when God comes to the woman. So then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Sin is deceptive. It promises something. It doesn't deliver on it. It promises pleasure. It delivers death. Now my sin doesn't lead to death. You're doing it because it's deceptive. Sin is deceptive. And so what do we do? What's the antidote? The passage tells us, encourage one another daily. It doesn't say white knuckle it. You need to fight harder against sin. No, it's not even what it says. You need somebody reminding you of the truth. What's that truth? It depends on the circumstances. Who's in your life to know those circumstances? Because the, the truth might be, hey, no temptation to seize you what's common to man. God's going to provide a way for you to get out from this. You need to be sensitive to the way out. Or maybe you've already blown it. If you confess your sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive you of your sins. Maybe it's coming at you in the moment, and it's, and it's blitz all day. Stand firm, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Put on the full armor of God. I don't know what's happening in every person's life here today. But God does. If he speaks to you, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. He's still speaking. Listen. Who's in your life to encourage you? Who do you need to encourage? Because we need each other. Everybody you looked at to the right needs you. Everybody looked at to the left, they need you. We need each other. And so one way you can respond today is that after the service, we're going to be out there baptizing folks, but there's going to be a table out there too that's going to list all of our small group opportunities, men's, women's, small group for people that everybody wants to go into a small group as couples, singles, whoever, whatever you want to do. There, there's an opportunity out there for you. That might be one way. Some of you might not want to do a small group. Maybe you ask somebody to go to lunch and then tell them your worst sin you've ever done. Just kidding. But maybe you'll get there at some point. Maybe today is just lunch, feeling each other out. But we need each other. See, you can be a Christian on your own. You can't be an obedient one. 